the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. They didn't bow to the pressure of all the other people who didn't like them or didn't like the God that they served. Let me tell you something. When you start getting serious about worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone, and you start talking in exclusive terms, because truth, by the way, by definition is exclusive, there's going to be some people who don't like you. It's going to be very unpopular, and increasingly so, to stand for truth and to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It'll just become increasingly more unpopular. We're seeing it around our world. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezra. Jesus wasn't liked by everyone when he walked the earth, and in case you haven't noticed, he still isn't very popular today. If you call yourself his follower and actually live it out, don't be surprised if you encounter rejection. When the Israelites determined to take a stand and rebuild the temple of God, they were met with lots of oppression from those around them. Pastor Gary shares with us today that they didn't bow down under this pressure, and we shouldn't either. Keep putting Jesus first, even when the whole world puts you down. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Ezra, Chapter 3, for Part 2 of today's message, titled, The Priority of Jesus, The Practice of Worship. God says, basically, paraphrasing, the animal sacrificial system will be put into effect until... My son Jesus comes onto the scene and that by his sacrifice on the cross, his sacrifice will be sufficient once and for all, for all time and for all people, as many as put their faith and trust in his sacrifice, his innocent life for our guilty lives, his perfect life for our imperfect lives. It was the great exchange. It was the great sacrifice where God says once and for all, no more animals, because my son, God in flesh, will serve to be the lamb, the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Remember, that's what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus approaching to be baptized. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because Jesus then fulfilled the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. In his single sacrifice on the cross, he then made us, if we accept by faith, accepted by God. And we can then approach God 
on the basis of what Christ has done. That's why Hebrews 10 verse 10 says that we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's why 1 John 2 2 says that Christ Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for our sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. That's why Ephesians 3 12 says that in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. It's because Christ then became that sacrifice to pay for our sins, to die in our place, the great exchange, an innocent life for our guilty humanity. And so, the altar sacrifice that you read there in Ezra chapter 3 points to Jesus in every way. Because the altar of sacrifice is what they would approach in order to find atonement, redemption, forgiveness from God. So the altar of sacrifice then fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus, okay? And then check this out. They made the altar of sacrifice before they did anything else. Because the altar of sacrifice was priority. Translate. The altar of sacrifice points to Jesus. Jesus, our sacrifice now, his innocent life for our sinful life. And if the altar of sacrifice was priority in Ezra chapter 3, guess what it means for us as a church? It's number 5 on our running list here. It means to keep Jesus the priority. To keep Jesus the priority. First thing they did, build the altar sacrifice. Altar sacrifice fulfilled in Jesus. So he is priority. In other words, in our church, Jesus will always be priority. This is a never-changing thing for us going forward. We will always preach Jesus, proclaim Jesus, praise Jesus, follow Jesus, pray to Jesus. It is all about Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? It's all about Jesus. Now... It might seem to some of you like, well, that's a no-brainer. That's what church is about. That's not so clear in every church. And I hear enough from those of you who have come from other churches who say, you know, they just don't teach the Bible anymore. And they don't preach Jesus. And they're not leading people to Christ. It's like Jesus all of a sudden has become very unpopular and faded out of the church. Now, please hear me on this because there's nothing worse than any church sounding exclusive. And I don't mean to infer that at all about us. There are some wonderful things that a lot of great churches are doing in our community and around the world. But the truth is that sadly, I hear it, you hear it, you've experienced it. I think more and more churches are trending further and further away from the Bible and Jesus. And I think it's reality. And so it needs to be said that going forward, whatever seasons of change might occur in the life of our church, we will always exalt Jesus. We will always preach Jesus. We will always worship Jesus, lead people to Jesus, follow Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Now, I want you to understand another parallel here in the book of Ezra and in our day today. During the time of Ezra, it was a very, and I put this in quotes, it was a very spiritual time. And the same is true today. Spiritual in the sense of mystical. Okay, because you may not know this, but let me connect some dots of history with you. During the time period that is covered by the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, roughly 538 B.C. to 444 B.C., during that time period covered by the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, listen to this, Buddha is in India, Confucius is in China, Socrates is in Greece. Did you know that? During the same time period of the events covered in Ezra and Nehemiah, which focus in on the Jews and life in Jerusalem. Let me tell you what was happening outside of Jerusalem. You had Buddha in India. You had Confucius in China. You had Socrates in Greece. It was a time of great spirituality and intellectual enlightenment. Nothing has changed. 
We live in a day of great interest in spirituality. Am I right? Is there a lot of interest in our world today in spirituality? Okay, spiritual things. And is there not a great interest or emphasis on intellectual assent in our culture as well? Same things that we're reading about in the book of Ezra, at least in terms of world events surrounding the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, the same things are happening today. There's a great interest that people have in spirituality, the mystical, the mysterious. And why is that? I'll tell you the reason why it is. Because the Bible says that we were created in the image and likeness of God. His imprint is on our soul. And mankind was hardwired with a deep longing to connect and commune with his or her creator. And so because we're hardwired that way, there is naturally then this interest in spiritual things. People in a constant pursuit of what people refer to as like, I want to seek a higher power, a higher being, a higher source. I want greater enlightenment. Why is it that people talk like that in our world today? Because we're hardwired to commune and connect with our creator. But absent knowing Jesus, unless we understand that Jesus is the pathway to connect with our creator, unless we understand that Jesus paid the price so that we can have relationship with our creator, unless we understand that Jesus was the innocent sacrifice for our sinful lives, then you can have all the spiritual pursuit and all the intellectual ascent you want. And it's only just that, pursuing and ascending, but never arriving. Because unless you know that Jesus is the pathway to connect to the Creator and that deep longing in the human heart for connection with God, if you don't know Jesus as that pathway, as the only pathway, you can be on all kinds of spiritual journeys and never arrive. Let me illustrate this to you. I got just this uh, last month in the mail at the Hamrick household, okay? The AARP Bulletin. <laughs> How do you think it's making me feel right now, huh? The AARP Bulletin. All the people over 50 are applauding over here. Yeah, so I guess when you start to get old, you get old people's mail. So this is what came to my house, AARP Bulletin. I'm not even sure what AARP stands for. I think it's the Association of Angry Retired People. I don't really know, because <laughs> that's usually what happens. I'm home now, and I'm here to stay. <laughs> I'm afraid that that's actually going to become me. Please pray for my wife. Because I'm afraid I'm going to become a grumpy old man. Like, I'm retired now. I'm here to stay, honey. <laughs> My great fear is that, it, you know, I don't even know when to retire and I'm going to be doing that to you. It's like, turn to Ezra chapter 3 now. <laughs> anyway, back to the story. So, so I get this in the mail, AARP, all right, the bulletin for people over 50. And on the front cover, Oprah Winfrey. Everybody knows Oprah Winfrey. Very smart, very talented lady, very wealthy lady, over, worth net worth over $3 billion, okay? Very successful woman. But I want you to notice the title of this. Here's the cover story, Finding Your Spirituality. Oprah joins Americans over 50 on a search for meaning. You know, I read that and I thought, that's really sad if you're over 50 and you're still searching for the meaning, you know? But that's spirituality. No, it's not finding Christianity. It's not finding any faith. It's finding spirituality. Does it sound mystical? And if it sounds mystical, it's because it is. 
in the article, I read the whole thing, and in the article, she was asked many questions. Here's one of the questions she was asked, and I want you to listen to the answer as well. Here's the question. Quote, some people question whether you can be a Christian and also embrace so-called New Age philosophies. How would you respond to that? Here's her answer. Quote, she says, I can't define God, so to be open to the mystical and mystery of God is a natural part of myself. It's working for me, and has worked for me, and continues to work for me, in a way that fills me with a sense of peace and contentment about what God means to me. Well, that explains it all now, doesn't it? <laughs> now I understand. You know what this reminds me of? Look at how she starts out. I can't define God. And she talks about how mystical he is and mysterious that he is. It reminds me, actually, of the philosophy of Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi said, God is that indefinable something that we all feel, but which we cannot know. He was wrong. We can know God. We can have relationship with our Creator. We can know Him through Jesus, His Son, our Lord. But if it sounds mystical on her part, it's because it's intended to be. There was nothing in any of her answers having to do with Jesus whatsoever. So, of course, it sounds mystical. In fact, even in the article further, she used terms like interfaith connectedness and deepening of spirituality and yearning of the heart and the power of the divine. But never once does she mention Jesus. And I want you to also notice the great emphasis on me in her quote. I highlighted it for you. Can you see this? She says, I can't define God, so to be open to the mystical and mystery of God is the natural part of myself. It is working for me and has worked for me and continues to work for me in a way that fills me with a sense of peace and contentment about what God means to me. This is the religion of me. It's all about how she defines God and that's her interpretation of who he is. And, you know, and Oprah said many public things. You can Google it about how basically all paths lead to God. Though she says that she's a Christian, she is outspoken about how she doesn't believe that Jesus is the only way. So there's a lot of contradiction to what the Bible says. And listen, I'm not picking on Oprah Winfrey. The fact of the matter is she just happens to be a very well-known, famous person. And so she is then picked by AARP to be the cover of this story. But she represents tens of thousands of people. This is not just about Oprah Winfrey. She represents a stream of spirituality that a lot of people are swimming in. Tens of thousands of people who are swimming in the idea of spiritual things, the concept of the mystical and the mysterious. But again, it's a spiritual journey without a destination if you don't know Jesus in that equation. So back to our points here. In addition to this subpoint about how it's a very spiritual time in our world, just like it was a very spiritual time in the days of Ezra, I want you to also notice another parallel in the book of Ezra with our day, and that is this subpoint. It was and is a very unpopular time to be solely devoted to the Lord. Very unpopular. Go back here to chapter 3, look at verse 3. I want you to highlight this in your Bibles. If you have a pen or pencil handy or in your electronic Bibles, you know how to do that too. Just highlight verse 3. Despite their fear of the peoples around them. That's the important part to highlight. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Now notice what that verse tells us. They get back to Jerusalem. They're reestablishing their lives. They're building the altar. They're going to build the temple. 
They worship the true and living God. And guess what? Not everybody's happy about it. Other people around them didn't like that they were back and certainly don't like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they worship. And the Jews decided, despite the fact that we're kind of afraid of all these people that don't like us, we are pressing on and we're going to build this altar to the glory of God. And we're going to exalt him in this place. And they didn't bow to the pressure of all the other people who didn't like them or didn't like the God that they served. Let me tell you something. When you start getting serious about worshiping Jesus and Jesus alone, and you start talking in exclusive terms, because truth, by the way, by definition is exclusive, there's going to be some people who don't like you. It's going to be very unpopular, and increasingly so, to stand for truth and to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It'll just become increasingly more unpopular. We're seeing it around our world. We're seeing it, of course, on the most egregious level by ISIS going around killing Christians just for their faith in Jesus, beheading them solely because they're Christians. We see it in Nigeria with Boko Haram. They are killing thousands of Christians in the same way, just because they're Christians. So that's the most severe example, of course, but even in America, to a much lesser degree, we're facing increasing hostility. If you're a Christian and you want to, you know be known for being a Christian because you can hide it and sail through life just fine, you know, on the short term. But if you really want to get serious about Jesus and people know that you're a Christian, it's interesting and it's hypocritical how some of the people who say to us that we need to be more tolerant are some of the most intolerant about our faith in Christ. You start getting serious about the Lord. You take a stand, for example, for marriage being between a man and a woman, and you'll be called a homophobe. You start taking a stand for life, you'll be told that you're anti-women. If you are opposed to harvesting baby body parts, you'll be told that you're anti-women's health. If you share Jesus in the workplace, you'll either be disciplined or fired for proselytizing. If you conscientiously object to signing marriage licenses or baking cakes or selling flowers to same-sex couples for their weddings, you will be either thrown in prison, fined, or run out of town. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission even has within their guidelines that employers must make accommodations for Muslims for their times of prayer. But just last week, an assistant high school football coach in the suburbs of Seattle, Washington, was suspended because as a Christian, he prayed with his players on the football field. What is the world coming to? Increasing hostility towards Christians. You could be at a dinner party, and you could be talking about the same three people who were alive at the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. You could be having a discussion with people at a dinner party about Buddha, Confucius, Socrates. People will hail you as enlightened, open-minded, and a road scholar of philosophy. But you open your mouth and start talking about Jesus, you'll clear the room. And people will mock you, and they will say to you that you're intolerant, bigoted, and stupid. Because you're talking about Jesus. You could talk about Buddha all day long, and people go, well, that's interesting. That's enlightening. Confucius says, well, that's wonderful. That's interesting. Socrates says, you start talking about what Jesus says, you'll clear the room. Why is that? And should it surprise us? Because Jesus said in Mark 13, 13, all men will hate you because of me. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So it shouldn't surprise us. This is the trend of what is going to happen until Christ returns. But notice how the people in Ezra's day, they built the altar of the sacrifice despite the fears of the people around them.
despite how unpopular or uncommon, we're going to do this for the glory of God. That's the way it is here. Jesus will always be preached. Jesus will always be declared. Jesus will always be followed. We will lead people to Jesus, no matter how unpopular or uncommon it becomes. It's all about Jesus. And Jesus even said to us in Mark 8, verse 38, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. That is sobering. And so, whether it's popular or not, live for Jesus, and we as a church will always make him priority for everything that we do. The second thing that we see, and the only other point I want to share with you today out of chapter 3, one of the other things that will never change around here, notice from chapter 3, further down now in verse 8, it tells us that in the second month of the second year after their arrival, what happens in the following verses tells us that they start to build the temple of the Lord. They lay the foundation. Look at verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 says that when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord... The priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Notice this. They had been there seven months, and they built the altar of sacrifice. Seven months after that, we're now the second year, the second month, they lay the foundation for the Lord's temple. And they start to build the temple. And when they start to do that, notice all the fanfare here. This is a great moment of celebration where the priests come out wearing their vestments. They're all dressed up. The Levites come out with trumpets and cymbals, and they all are singing here. Notice again verse 11, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. All the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. What are they doing here? They're worshiping the Lord, and it speaks to me again about something else that will never change around here. We will also not only keep Jesus the priority, but we will keep worshiping practice. We will be a worshiping church. We will exalt him and praise him because there is no one or nothing else worthy of praise like God is. And so we will exalt him in this place. Now, obviously, there are different forms of worship. It's not restricted only to singing. You know, we worship with our lives. We worship with our giving. There's different ways we worship the Lord. But the context here is basically the context of corporate worship. When we get together here, we begin with the time of worship. We want to sing songs to the Lord. We want to exalt Him. We want to lift up His name. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 5, sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we will continue to worship Him, exalt Him in this place. It is something that will simply never change. Now, the styles will change. You know, the seasons and styles of worship have changed over the years, and there's nothing wrong with the great old hymns of our faith. We love the old hymns of our faith, okay? But worship and singing and preferences of worship, those have changed over the years. Some styles have changed, all right? But listen to me. One thing that will never change, while styles of worship might change, and everybody has their preferences, I get that, but while styles of worship will change over time, the subject of our worship and the one that we adore will never change. Our adoration, 
Our worship, our praise is unto the Lord, God our Father, and Jesus his Son. And Psalm 150 tells us, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath, what? Praise the Lord. Pastor Gary shared more from the story of the return of the exiles from the Persian Empire. God shows us through this book that he keeps his promises. Before the exile, God had promised 70 years earlier that his people would once again return to the land. God is always faithful to complete what he has begun and to fulfill his promises. We too can count on him always. We hope today's message has been encouraging to you. If you don't know God and would like to, please call us at 703-771-1500. We'd love to introduce you to him. Once again, that number is 703-771-1500. If you enjoyed today's message and want to hear more, we have an archive of teachings available on our website. You can subscribe to our podcast or just listen online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also have a mobile app that you can download to your smartphone or tablet. Take the biblically-based messages of Cornerstone Connection with you on the go to add some encouragement to your day. That's all we have time for today. We've enjoyed our time together with you. Join us again for more of Pastor Gary's study in the book of Ezra next time on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.